to open up your Bible, and we are going to look at Philippians, as we have been this whole summer. The church, it's named for the recipients, the church in Philippi. Philippians 2 is where we are. We're going to look at the last few verses. Paul loved the church at Philippi. They loved him. Uh, But right now, there's a great distance that separates them. And uh, more than that, even if he uh, was close by, he wouldn't be able to transport himself there because he's under house arrest awaiting a a trial that could end in him uh, being sentenced to death. It would have been unjust for Paul to be uh, killed, but he was content and he was at peace. And in fact, this whole letter is, as we've been highlighting, is commending for other people to have joy. One of the things that brought him joy was the knowledge that the Philippian his home church, well, not his home church, but the church that he planted and loved, that they were sending support. They had sent uh, a man by the name of, of, of Epaphroditus. I know I'm going to mispronounce his name at least once today. Um, but they sent him on uh, over to where he was presumably in prison in Rome. We don't know for certain. But wherever it was, he was hundreds of miles away, and, and he's struggling. You know, He needs you know, practical help with food and, and, and with money and uh, encouragement. They send him on uh, there. And, and he almost dies, as we're going to read, uh, in, in just trying to be a support to the Apostle Paul. You know, death is, uh, is, a, is an unpleasant reality. That, that's that's natural, right? We, we, we know that. But sometimes I, I, I get the impression, I mean, we all get the impression that death is one of those subjects. It's, it's like a word. We, we just want to be about a million miles away from it. It's almost like we treat it as an altogether taboo subject. I mean, we live in a culture, this is stating the obvious, that is obsessed with longevity and youthful looks and safety first. Safety first. There's this overarching, blooming at times, seems like, Fear, great fear of death. I remember at our old house, our, our neighbor Mark came back from a vacation on the West Coast, and he and I were talking it up, and he was saying how much they enjoyed traveling, uh, you know, traveling there. And he, I said, well, tell me something about the trip. And he said, well, we, we traveled on the Pacific Coast Highway. That's Route 1. And I said, Did you enjoy it? He said, yeah, but I think next time if we do it, I'm, I'm going to travel south to north, not north to south. And I'm thinking, what, what, what difference does it make? Why, why would you say that? And he says, I don't ever want to be that close to the edge. <laughs> it's really kind of scary. You know, the, 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 the scenery is fine, but, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty intimidating. And, uh, and it you know, sparked in my mind the fact that every six months or so, roughly, I have this reoccurring dream. It's really a dream. It's not a nightmare. You'll think it is. Uh, but I, I, have, I, I have this dream. I'm not kidding. My wife can testify. I have this dream. It's, it's at least once every six months to a year. Where I, I'm, I'm, I'm about to die, and I, it, it usually in, involves an automobile going over the edge of a cliff, and 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 the the car part is not important. It's just the fact that I have this moment in air where I realize this is it, right? It's it's over. Like I'm 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 going to die now. And every time in the dream, I just start singing the doxology, and 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 now you're never going to want to ride with me in a car again. I, I understand that. <laughs> No fault to you, I understand. Some of you are probably thinking that's strange. Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. I was with a woman this week who's dying. Hebrews 9. It's appointed unto man once to die and then to face the judgment. And this woman is terrified. And I shared with her about Christ, the only hope, our, our door, our good shepherd, the way, the truth, the life, surrender to him. Before you die, do you have any regrets? Do you have any looming questions? 
Do you have any unfinished business? Do you you have any hope? What are you living for? Who are you living for? What are you serving? Who are you serving? Not, Not if, who, what? What are you serving and living for? We're going to read here in the text of two men who have no regrets. They're commended to us as servants, uh, men to be honored. Let me invite you to stand again in deference to God's word. Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. Hear this. This is the word of God. I hope in the Lord Jesus, Paul writes, to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How much as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send Timothy just as soon as I see how it will go with me. That's referring to his trial. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister in my need, to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because he heard that because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him and not not only on him but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him, the Lord, with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Excuse me, to me. You may be seated. Let's ask God's help. Someday, Father, we know that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, like the trees cover the ground. The, the, the waters cover the sea, but right now we only see in a mirror dimly, and we, would like, and we would ask that we would see Jesus clearly as much as we are able by faith. In his name we ask, amen. For at least a portion of 2020, we had a bit of a reversal, didn't we? Um, who, who are the heroes of the day? Who are the people that we are enchanted with and and focused on, well, for, for a season it was a reversal, right? Because all those, the artists uh, who had their, their shows canceled, the musicians and such that had their concerts on hold, uh, the, you know, the, the actors, the athletes who had no major sporting events, for a season we all rallied, and rightly so and beautifully so, to say the real heroes are those who are on the front lines. And especially because at that time we knew very little about the Virus and where the pandemic would go, and none of these people had a vaccine. And here they are serving nurses and all these other, you know, essential workers that were part of the front lines. It was commendable. It was a good thing. Who are our heroes? Uh, who is it that we would uh, seek to to honor? I was uh, at a camp each year, and uh, we were our church used to go to uh, this Christian camp for a weekend retreat in the fall, and. There were these signs around the the campus of this Christian camp that said, me third, me third, me third. Finally, I I said, you know, to one of the guys who was on staff, what's the what's the me third thing? Oh, I'm glad you asked, he said, because our mantra here that we're trying to instill and convey is Christ first, God first, other second, me third. 
And that's that's not easy, right? <laughs> let's be let's be honest. It's 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 hard to put it in that order if we are entirely truthful. As a pastor, there are many things uh, there are many things that bring me joy. One of them especially is when I find out about how you minister to one another, how you seek one another out, provide encouragement, come alongside and do things. Not prompted, not invited, no titles, no job description, no recognition of your own, seeking one another out. It brings me great joy. And, and with, no, with, with, with no thanks, maybe, all together behind uh, closed doors and, and uh, no one else knows. Uh, even this week I got to hear about how uh, some of you, uh, two, two women, uh, rallied around a friend who's doing her job, and it's, it's got many demands, and, and these two women just said, let's come alongside of you and help you do it. Let's just, let me just give you my day, give you my time, and let me help you do what you're doing and called to do. That, that, that brings me so much joy. I, I, they'll go unnamed because that's the way they would want it. Totally behind the scenes. Now, you know, when we read Philippians here, we might think, gee, you know, it's a little bit strange and odd that Paul goes from talking about all this amazing theology about the humiliation of Christ and the exaltation of Christ and what he wants and desires and loves for the Philippians to see to now talk about a travelogue, right? Two guys who are seemingly random that we know very little about. These, these two men are commended to us. But I don't think that was Paul's uh, desire. I think he desired to communicate something. Not as an offshoot, but for our benefit, God's design that we would actually have this as part of the letter. And I think in part what I want us to appreciate through this are two simple things, uh, as you see listed in the order. And it's just this, looking to these examples and then subsequently looking through these examples. Looking to these examples, first there's Timothy. Timothy was part uh, Gentile, part Jew. His father uh, being a Gentile, his mother a Jew. His father did not introduce him to uh, God or the scriptures, but his mother did. And so did his grandmother. Uh, we, we see this recorded elsewhere by Paul. And he grew up underneath these teachings. He knew the scriptures. And by that, we mean the Old Testament. And he also, at one point, was introduced to Paul. On Paul's first missionary journey, uh, Timothy uh, finally, in, in God's mercy and grace by his spirit, it all clicked for him. All the things that he knew of scripture, he realized that the culmination of all that was, was Jesus. And he surrendered and converted and began to follow Jesus, which meant following Paul. Because on the next missionary journey, Timothy joins him. And, uh, and, and whatever it meant for Paul, it meant for Timothy. And that meant great hardship, tons of trials, lots of persecution, a myriad of threats, it was Timothy. And Timothy got a lot less praise. Timothy was back. See, Timothy wasn't you know, there performing miracles and, and, uh, and such. Timothy's witnessing all of this as a support. Their relationship ran very deep. He even, he even alludes to it as if a father to a son. He loved and cared for Timothy. Well, let's read it again. Verse 21. What does it say? For all seek their own interests. We don't know who this is, but we know that the contrast is Timothy. It says, verse 22, but you know Timothy. You know his proven worth. How is a son with a father? He has served me in the gospel. It was costly. It was costly for anyone to be closely associated with Paul. And Timothy lingers, even when Paul is under arrest. And he is giving us an example. He's showing forth an example of how you can experience joy in being selfless. Not, not, it wasn't just because of his devotion to Paul. It was because of his devotion to the Lord that he was committed to Paul. And that's important to remember. 
You have to love, of course, Paul's open handedness, right? You have to you have to appreciate that he is underneath and surrendered to the will of God because he says, I hope in the Lord. Look at verse 19. I hope in the Lord. And then further down in verse 24, he says, I trust in the Lord. In other words, to say, here's my desire and plan, but it's ultimately God who is in control. And he was content in that for both Paul and for Timothy. We see these uh, examples of of affections and concern for brothers and sisters, even 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 though distance is uh, you know, a pronounced thing for them. The same is true for Epaphroditus. He was the one, remember, who was sent to bring the supplies, as I said earlier, to bring the support to Paul from the church in Philippi. And there is mutual love that he has for his home church that he left to go see Paul. But, you know, something must have happened. I love, too, just the, the open-handedness about it all, Right? There's a willingness on the part of each and all, each and every one of these men to, to be interrupted. I hate being interrupted. I don't know about you. I, I mean, I don't even want to you know, sweep the, the kitchen, which is not much fun. I, my wife just thought, Troy never sweeps the kitchen. That's a bad example. Um, I, don't like to do, I don't like to do mundane things without being interrupted, let alone this, this, their, this very mission, this very life, the, all the things that they're trying to pursue. But they're open-handed. I love that about these men. They're willing to set things aside to serve other purposes. And, and in other words, even if you, you know, have the heart to do something, you have the, the motivation uh, to serve, it has to be selfless. It has to be at times even sacrificial or else it's, it's shallow and self-oriented. I, I'm trying to think of examples. You know, all service, by the way, as we des- may desire to, it can't be just on our terms and according to our convenient schedule. Think about that. It can't always be pre-planned. It can't neatly fit into our life. And that's that's really sometimes the reason that maybe we, you know, well, we want to do something, so we, we write a check, but we don't give a listening ear. We we give money, but we're not we're not willing to give our time. Does that make sense? Some things are more precious to us. We don't want interrupted in our life. We don't want to practically involve ourselves in something or someone's problem or someone's life or someone's whatever, fill in the blank. Just in relationship to encourage others. We want to keep, why is the church not more like these men? We know that the pull of our cultural context is the other way. And Dennis Johnson, who's a commentator, author, wrote this. The yearning of Paul and Epaphroditus to be with their brothers and sisters in Christ stands in stark contrast to the individualism and frenetic busyness of many Christians today who regard involvements with other believers in worship and fellowship as a duty to be discharged as efficiently as possible. Lest the family of God unduly interrupt one's private schedule, which is already overfilled with commitments and amusements, the pace of life in urban and suburban communities is driving and demanding, leaving little time to spend with people for purposes that seem unprofitable for commerce or career advancements. You get the picture, hopefully. This is clearly not the case with Epaphroditus. We don't know much else about this man, but he was willing to sacrifice greatly for no praise, 
for no recognition at all. He wouldn't even be considered a leader like Timothy later, who's a pastor in public ministry. Instead, he's playing way back, me third. Oh, way, way back. He has a self-forgetful regard for others' interest before his own, which is what Paul had commended earlier in Philippians 2. He's even willing, in a a self-forgetful way, to suffer. Epaphroditus, after he left uh, to leave to after he left the home church in Philippi, he must have been with a group because somewhere along the way he's impeded by illness. And one of the group evidently must have peeled off and head back because they've already gotten word that Epaphroditus is sick and may not even make it. He's going to probably die on this mission to bring support to Paul in prison. But what do we see? Epaphroditus is not likely going to make it. Maybe that's the case. Yeah, in fact, it was. Paul testified he almost died. And he sends word back with Epaphroditus to them. But verse 26 says, in the in-between, Epaphroditus was not burdened about himself. He was burdened over the people of Philippi because they were worried about him. And, and, and that makes him more like Philippians 1.21 as opposed to Philippians 2.21. As Warren Wearsby, one of the commentators I read this week, put it so well. He was a Philippians 121 Christian for me to live as Christ and to die as gain and not a 221, which is what? Look at the text again. They all seek their own interests. Epaphroditus is not concerned with that. He, he, his, heart is, his heart is anxious. He wants to go back so he can tell them I'm okay. Because it burdens him to think about them worried about his life. Does that make sense? Like he's concerned about their sorrow more than his circumstance. He wants them to be encouraged. It's the intersection of belief and behavior. Right? That's, that's James. Faith without works is dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that great, if you have all the knowledge in the world but have not Love, action, verb, not passive, active, you got nothing. It's meaningless. It means that our prayer and our priorities are different. But we live in a time and a culture where we say, Lord, give us a good day. Right? Translated, uh, no encumbrances, uh, ease, comfort, uh, no suffering, and by all means, no interruptions. It means I'm willing to serve. Yes. The good day is I'm willing to serve if it's planned, if it's not messy, it's clean. If I get some kind of, of you know, personal gratification and certainly some gratitude. I mean, if I can serve and get a T-shirt, it'd be, it'd be really cool. In fact, if I could serve and get a T-shirt and get my, my photo on, on social media. Oh, but not me. Me being tagged by somebody else on social media because I don't want to look so vain as to say I'm self-promoting all the great things I've done. That was supposed to be funny. You know what I'm talking about. Someone caught you doing an act of service and they posted it for you. Boom. We need some modern day examples of good service, selfless, sacrificial service like Timothy and Epaphroditus. I'll give you one. Robertson McQuilkin. Robertson McQuilkin 
was a man of great talents and tremendous ambition. He studied. He showed himself to be worthy. Just as Paul commended Timothy, he was in Bible college. He met uh, a young lady, uh, Muriel, and they were married. They ended up being married for 55 years. They raised six children. They went and served for over a dozen years in Japan. Uh, He was called back to be a president of a college and a seminary. Uh, He was a scholar. He was a writer. He was a teacher. Uh, He was advancing in his career. He was obviously very influential very capable, making great strides, benefiting, blessing lots of people. His wife, Muriel, suffered from Alzheimer's. She was diagnosed, and as the disease progressed, she became very unhappy. In fact, she was filled with fear and feelings that she was trapped whenever he was absent. He was pretty much the only person that could calm her. So, Robertson McQuilkin decided to resign many, many years prior to what would be a natural retirement age. Against the advice of other people, he resigned as president and became her full-time caretaker. Many people tried to persuade him otherwise. Surely he can make, put her in a home. You can make a greater impact for the kingdom if, if you just stay focused on your job as president and teacher and speaker. And he said no. And in his book, A Promise Kept, I encourage you to read it. You find out that his love was not self-seeking, but it was not easy. And he records there many of the lessons that he learned, very painful ones, in trying to fulfill the calling that he had. It wasn't always an easy marriage for them either. There were times in the marriage that the, the dominance of his role and his preferences took hold. And he confessed that one day he went back and looked over old cards and love letters that they had exchanged. And he came across the note. And the note had been obviously crinkled up, but then laid flat. It was one that Muriel had written. His wife had written years before, but never gave to him. It began with some of his praises. But at the close, it said this, I wonder, can I ever be right just once? Robertson McQuilkin would come face to face with the calling To live as a husband is supposed to, Ephesians 5, and that's what he made good on. He said, for 40 years, for over 40 years, she served my life and my calling, and now it's my turn. And I I wouldn't exchange it for anything else. If I gave her 40 of my years, it wouldn't even begin to pay back the debt I owe her. Ephesians 5, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And how did he do that? He laid down his life. Upon his death, Robinson McQuilkin, I think it was about five or six years ago, I'm sure he reached heaven. And what was said of him was said of the, the man at the end of the parable of talents who had been a good steward. His master said to him, Jesus records Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Who's your master? We're all serving something, someone. We need modern day examples. Seek to be this. Seek them out and learn from them. You may say, well, that's great. That's noble. That's commendable. Obviously, these are worthy examples, but it's just not attainable. I'm exhausted enough just trying to care for my children. 
or clean my gutters or do whatever mundane thing you may imagine. And that's where I would say that we should look not only to these examples, but through these examples. Let me explain. This is what I would say, because these are living examples that press us. The design and desire is it would press us to see the heart and the real root motivation behind it all. And that is Jesus Christ. Because obviously we have a lot of difficulties seeing that. We have difficulties serving. And a lot of those are tied to our pride. I, I assume that I'm better. I have better things to do with, with my resources and time. Uh, those people are less deserving than me. Uh, those people are more deserving. All of these things that are wrapped up in pride. It was Marcus Aurelius, who was the, the Stoic philosopher who became the Roman emperor, who once was asked, how do you handle being surrounded by idiots? His answer, rise above them. Jesus, how do you handle being surrounded by a bunch of idiots? By getting beneath them and washing their feet. The humility of Jesus, we saw it so clearly mapped out in in, in the early part of this chapter. Descending from the highest places of praise down to the contempt and the mockery of humanity. Yes, we see the selflessness of Timothy. He's suffering. He's playing second fiddle all the time. We see through him and his selflessness our Savior who left those praises and entered into our shame and the mockery of humans. We see the, we see the, the, the sacrifice of Epaphroditus who has a passion for his people in his home church. And it's just a, a picture of the passion that Jesus had to be with his people and to one day dry every tear and to ease every aching heart. When Jesus serves, of course, Epaphroditus was willing to sacrifice even, and it says he even came close to death. But Jesus willfully went through and not as an example, but as a substitute for us. Unless we think that Jesus and I just distinctly remember, you know, obviously Jesus, when he serves, which is really all he does, right, because it's so unnecessary, like. You could arguably say it's so beneath him, but in the name of love, it's not. That everything that he does is selfless and sacrificial. He has in mind a mission where we're the recipients of the blessing at his expense and cost. And he serves to the praise and the glory of the Father. Even as we think about when we're, 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 we're pressed in, or we, we even awaken ourselves to the needs of others and that could be so many variety of things that we we ask ourselves Jesus how is it that the son of man we're told in Mark came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many you know unless we think I know it's so hard to imagine that that to give is to receive that the sacrifice is to reap 
the blessing. But lest we think that all of service to Jesus and in his name, and it doesn't have to be anything that's profound or showy. It doesn't have to be with spiritual language peppered in. It's something very, very simple maybe. Lest we think that it's just about misery and being unpaid and unappreciated and having to live uh, up underneath the obscurity of being unnoticed. Don't miss the promise. And here's what I'll close with. It's what we read in John 12. I read it this week. Many of you read it this week in community Bible reading. Jesus is reaching the end of his mission, which is to live the life of the suffering servant. And this is what he says. It's an invitation. Truly, truly, John 12, 24, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die until the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life, that's natural. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Amen. Father, we pray right now that you would help us to live uh, that mantra. Christ first, others second, me and us third. And despite the trials and despite the temptations and despite the noise of our culture around us that would seek to uh, promote our convenience and all the idols of safety, that we would lay it down, that we would give eyes to see the needs and respond to them with willingness. Lord, I pray that more people in our community would ask for help so that there would be more opportunities and avenues for us to serve. Give us humility. Give us boldness to fulfill these to one another. Lord, we pray that you will go ahead of us this week and make opportunities ripe for us to walk in what you've called us to so that we can prove ourselves in honor to Jesus, our great and sufficient Savior, that he is worth it and that we are worthy servants, humble and ready. Thank you for your word. May it bear fruit in our lives, even now as we pray in Jesus' name, as he taught his disciples to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, 